Hello, and welcome to Dice Try, the RPG and storytelling podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Schaub. Hello, and welcome to the new episode of Dice Try, the podcast. My name is Daniel Schaub. I am your host and GM. I'm here with all my players, Crystal Llewellyn. Hello. Earl Kim. Hello. And Paul Dixon. <laughs> Once again with the uh, visual gag. And, of course, we have our lovely audio engineer, GTM, which, of course, stands for Google Taunts Man. Oh, my God. After <laughs> they do. <laughs> yes. Google does. How, how they do. Maybe I only say that because of the technical issues we've been having today. But you guys don't need to hear about that. Normally, uh, we would like go around and ask some questions. But actually, first, I'm going to hand out some uh, experience and whatnot to you guys. So if experience. you have your character sheets handy. Yes. First, you're going to get experience uh, work in this world. So you're going to add four channel points and then you're going to add uh, six experience points in order to increase a quality. It is the number you have times the number that you want to get to. So for instance, let's say for uh, Krista, she wants to increase her resourceful from four to five. Four times five is 20. You would need 20 experience points. And then for skills, uh, it is the number you have plus the number you want to get to. So if you wanted to increase your alchemy from five to six, you would need 11 experience points. Before we do that, I think I figured out how I want to add signature moves. So the idea I had in mind, and you guys tell me if before you level up anything i am going to make you an offer if you turn in all the experience points that you have right now i will give you a new signature move and i will make an offer to you as to what that signature move will be and you can make a counter offer and i feel that reflects the way like uh magic Eats. casters kind yeah it's like a feat kind of if we're amalgamating to uh I also feel like it kind of uh, is a good uh, metaphor for magic, how it's usually like a uh, bargain between you and some other darker force, like for Earl, it's between you and like elder God kind of figures and mm -hmm. Maeve, it's uh, between her and spirits of the world. We don't know exactly what's going on with the sheriff right now, but I feel like there's a little bit more going on. Just with the, the signature moves, because I don't think we've gotten to a point where we've used them yet. Like, mm -hmm. how do they work as far as like, are they equitable to spells? Are they equitable? Like, and would it be like slots or is it, I don't know, I was just curious yeah. like what so the channeling is the pool of uh like spell slots or something that like mm -hmm. that that you use in order to activate those signature moves and mm -hmm. each one has associated costs either one or two typically yeah. you can also use channeling to like re-roll dice let's just say oh i don't need to use a signature move but i rolled a bunch of dice and i didn't quit quite get enough successes i want to re-roll another dice you can spend a channeling to do that once you spend the channeling it is gone but then you'll earn more by you know killing monsters and completing tasks and stuff like that right and and channeling uses channel points yes yes and those are what we also use to augment the skills and the qualities yes you can yeah is it advised for us to use all of the channel points like in invest like is there a max of channel points we can hold on to and uh, like, if we were trying to aim for like oh i want to level up something really high so it means that you would have to have a really high you know so like 30 or 40 channel points oh like, no so channeling isn't used to uh increase the value of your skills and qualities i'm sorry i miss i think i misspoke okay experience is used to level up those qualities right. and skills okay 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 got it Channeling is uh, the ma kind of your magical pool in order to enhance but not level up, if that makes sense. It only temporarily will affect you. Right. It's like a boost. And we didn't have any channeling points at the beginning. Correct? We did. Yeah, we didn't, right? Or did we? Uh, uh, unless you rolled it on the experience table, no. 
you normally start with zero. Going back to what I was saying about before you choose to level up any skills or qualities, I'll make an offer to the player. If you give me all your experience right now, I will give you a new signature move. Here's my offer. So for instance, Earl, I will make an offer to you. If you give me all the experience that you currently have, I will give you a new signature move called, uh, let's call it like dream connection, which is when you are connected to someone in their dream, you can spend a channel point to learn information that you cannot see in the dream, such as if you are in the dream about the nun and the little girl, if you spend a channel point, you can learn the name of the nun or you can learn mm-hmm. the name of the of orphanage the that they're in. Okay, yeah. General um, information about what I'm seeing. Yes. You, you have to be able to see something, but isn't immediately apparent, such as names or uh, places. Okay. Is it like I would have to ask or would I, is it like I'm going to spend, like, is it like a, I would have to announce uh, I want to spend my thing and then ask the question or is it? Uh, you can ask first and I will say the person that you're dream connected to right now would not know that information. So you wouldn't have to spend that channel. Great, 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 great. Okay. Um, that's all my experience and my channeling channel points. Mm-hmm. No, just the experience. Oh, just the experience. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So you can go ahead and erase all the experience that you have and Mm -hmm. add dream connection. Someday we'll find it. The dream dream connection. connection. Lover. And now... All, all, oh. all three of you should have four signature moves, right? Yeah. What is the effect and cost for the... Uh, the cost will be one channel. Okay. The effect is uh, if you're connected to someone in a dream, you can learn information that is not readily available. One piece of information. A singular piece. I mean, per... Per, per, per point. Yeah, spent, per point. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I will read our little recap of what happened last time and then i will read a little introduction kind of fleshing out the world last time our group of investigators spoke with brett martell the proverbial head of new nazareth and became aware of a ghostly presence in his house which he is seemingly ignoring brett directed them to speak with the head of the woodcutters carter mcgrath to answer all of their questions about changing wildlife in the area. The group inspected the gunsmith and blacksmith to seek some advice and or equipment to catch large predators, but they also in their own ways directed their characters towards Carter McGrath. Upon returning to the hotel, Sheriff Colmer discovered that their rooms had been searched and Maeve learned that the human body in her wagon had been taken. They found that both of these things had been done by Washington Marchell, but chose not to start a fight and let the moment stand. Maeve completed some tests on soil and plant samples she had collected. Both had been deeply infected by some magical force that appeared to be attracted to human flesh. Charles completed a meditation ritual that allowed him to see more clues surrounding the mystery of the girl haunted by the nun. At the end of the previous episode, our heroes made their way to a nearby creek and found Carter McGrath and his men fishing an enormous alligator gar out of the water. In 1902, William Morton Wheeler, an expert on ants, coined the term ethology. Coming from the root word ethos, meaning character, ethology is the study of animal behavior and, more specifically, adaptive behavior in its relation to evolution. The key of ethological study is not to simply identify animal behavior, but understand why animals would adopt behavior as a survival method. In the words of naturalist William Beebe, the isness of things is well worth studying, but it is their whyness that makes life worth living. During the early Gilded Age, as humans began to more readily understand nature, there was also a misguided belief of divine dominion over animals. Up until 1916, leading American scientists did not believe that sharks were deadly to humans. 
Animals such as Tasmanian tigers and alligator gar were considered disruptive to livestock or humanity and were therefore persecuted for it. In the 1900s, several different species of apex predator went completely extinct, including four different species of tiger, two species of wolf native to Japan, the largest marsupial carnivore of the modern era, and more. Despite the ignorance of humanity, some vilified species have survived into the modern era and learned to live amongst humans. In the Russian taiga, poachers and hunters have reported that they were stalked by vengeance-seeking tigers after stealing meat from a tiger's kill. Although this behavior hasn't been scientifically proven, in 1997, a poacher was stalked by a tiger for several days and killed after taking meat from a tiger's meal. In order to survive into the future, predators have developed new behaviors in order to thrive. Or, as the ethological adage goes, the more complex the prey, the more complex the predator. So we're going to jump right back in. You are standing on the muddy shores of a creek, this brown water rolling by a hill on the other side of the creek in this distance with the tobacco fields in New Nazareth about a mile behind you. Carter McGrath and his men are standing before you. Again, Carter McGrath is a fellow about six foot tall, very lean and muscular with a big bushy beard that is silvery. Uh, he has a shaved head. He has several cuts on his arms from handling this alligator gar that he's washed off with creek water, even though that's probably not safe. But it's also, you know, 1908. So people probably don't know that it's not safe. One thing I do want to say, I slightly misspoke. Uh, an alligator gar about six feet long would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 pounds. The rumor is that alligator gar can grow up to like 14 foot long and weigh more than 300 pounds. But uh, no one's ever actually seen one that big. So yes, Carter McGrath looks up at all of you. So how can I help you all now? We're looking to trap a very large animal, a creature in the neighborhood. What kind of creature are you looking for now? Maybe you could tell us. It appears as though there's one that's been terrorizing this area. Uh, Carter McGrath kind of takes a look around at all of his associates. They're like cleaning the fish that they've pulled out of the water. Is it dead? It is dead. He brained it with a club. Okay. I was going to maybe, if it was still alive, I was going to maybe try and animal communication it, but (laughs) it's gone. (laughs) All of his associates are cleaning the fish. They like carried over to kind of a table they have set up and you see like what looks like newspaper, but it's just the old fashioned newspapers that are just one sheet, you know, and it actually says New Nazareth Times at the top of the newspaper on it. Cute. They have their own newspaper. And they uh, put the fish down on there and they're like prying the hardened scales off the fish. But it's very obvious that they're all keeping an eye on you. And Carter McGrath walks over to a bush and he pulls his shirt off of the bush and he starts putting it back on. And you start to look at all the men and all the people in New Nazareth are fairly well dressed. But all the woodcutters are dressed in like dirty rags. There's a clear distinction between like the field workers and these kind of hired hands, you might say. They might be lesser than in amongst the community. Why don't we uh, take our sails for a walk? Carter McGrath starts leading you along the uh, creek, and he says, uh, so uh, few of you must be associates with uh, Bartholomew Hughes. That would be correct. Yeah, your man came to see me multiple times. Seemed like a trustworthy fellow. We were also wondering about that since uh, he seems to have disappeared and no one has been able to contact him. From our experience for the last 24 hours of being here, we uh, it seems as though there is something, how do you say, afoot. He uh, takes a moment and kind of brushes his beard, thinking, he told me that uh, I should be careful. He didn't say so as so much, but I got the feeling that he felt he might be disappearing sometime soon, if you catch my drift. Before he uh, disappeared, 
What was he asking about? What did you converse on? Instead of answering, he uh, touches the uh, little uh, Keller House lapel pin that you have. Mm-hmm. I could show you. Please. Right this way. And he actually starts walking across the creek. He has led you towards a part that is more shallow than the uh, the piece that you had just been at. Mm-hmm. He crosses the creek and stands on the other side waiting for you guys to cross. Is there something... I don't know. Do I sense anything? Is he being deceptive? <laughs> Is there a trap that we're going to walk over? Uh, why don't you do insight? <laughs> I think it'll just be insight. Okay, okay so I have to roll d12s. Mm-hmm. And I'm rolling four of them. Yes, you are aiming to get a four as well. Uh, six, one, five. Another five. So he is not being untruthful anyway in any way you do get a strange feeling about him first of all uh the name carter mcgrath to you doesn't necessarily scream creole since yeah it's a scottish name but you have definitely heard him speaking with a cre my bad interpretation of a creole accent and he was speaking french at one point like uh, kind of a pigged in french yeah like like a like lot of creole french like but I get, I don't know. I feel like I'd be a little less weird about it because I get enough looks about being weird and all the things. So I feel like I might've just been like, huh, all right. It's just like, he's one of those people with an aura that makes you slightly uncomfortable. He might be a little dark side. is what you're saying. <laughs> I will follow him. Okay. In your immaculate suit, you cross across the muddy creek, water rising up to your knees. It's a swift moving creek, but uh, since it's not coming up super high, you're okay to cross it. Mm-hmm. And I assume the other two are crossing as well. Yes, I'm gonna hike up my skirt and sort of like tie it around my knees. So that oh, you're gonna make you're gonna make yourself a skirt. Yeah. <laughs> so he crosses, starts crossing across this uh, field. There are like sparse trees around, but it's mostly like uh, tall Kentucky bluegrass and stuff like that. But the bluegrass that you're coming across, usually, you know, Kentucky bluegrass is like a nice fine leaf of a grass, but the grass here seems to be twisted in kind of a, a spiral pattern almost up into the air and it's uh much rougher than you would expect and you're not sure if it's because it's like fall time so the grass is starting starting to dry out but then again it did rain for the past week so the grass should be soft but it's not and on the other side of the field you see another creek that is at a y connection to the creek that you just came from the creek that you're going towards is not as uh not as fast moving and not as wide. And it's leading up to the base of the hill that you saw in the distance. But as you approach that creek, um, Maeve, having seen that uh, magical juice or pollutant or whatever you want to call it, that dark, sickly green color, you can see that this slow moving creek that he's leading you towards has this same color to it. It's just like a slight tinge, like it's diluted into the creek. It's not glowing. It's just like, you know, the water's brown yeah. for the most part, but it does have this underpining color of sickly green. Yeah. Um, and as he leads you towards the hill following the creek, the green color becomes more and more. Is it like noticeable just to the eye, like without yeah. knowing or seeing the, okay. Yeah, she was only able to notice it at first because she would have known to look for it. But moving closer, you can all see that the collar of the water here is off. And Um, we're just walking up against the the creek, right? We're not going across it. No, he's he's yeah. We're we're not in it anymore. Um, Carter, uh, I happen to notice this. The water is getting slowly darker and, and darker green. And I found a little bit of this around the area of the town, too. Do you know exactly what, what's going on there? What is that? I don't know exactly where it's coming from, but there's a cave up ahead that uh, green is seeping from. And this was the place that Bartholomew Hughes and I visit all. 
on many occasions. How far is it to the mouth, like the actual like cave cave? He points to a grove of trees up ahead of you that is about a hundred yards away. Um, even from this distance, you can see that all these grove, this grove of trees, which seems to be grown around like a little lagoon at the base of the hill, all the trees are dead. Oh. And instead of the boughs of the trees, like starting to wilt as they uh, are dying out, the uh, boughs are actually upturned like angry fingers, blackened angry fingers. Do you know when this started appearing or uh, when you began to notice? No, that is certainly fair. Bartholomew Hughes had his own fair share of questions. I only began to notice it about a year ago. Presumably it started before that. Is the area around the cave like dead, dead, dead? Like, is it like a, like a noticeable line of death? Yes, there is a clear distinction right around the outline of that little pond slash lagoon. The first like 10 feet away along the banks of the lagoon are where everything has died and or mutated into this like twisted form. Gnarly. I guess the main question is there's a dead zone from looks of it. There is a dead zone. Uh, Maeve can actually go ahead and roll a nature plus, let's say practiced. So 70, 12. 9, 12, 8, 3, 7, 7, 4. Oh, you got two 7s in there. Nice. A couple of things. First of all, the death zone is whatever you want to call it, is definitely diffusing and looking at it. You're still looking at it from a distance, but that zone has grown over the past several years. You can just tell by the way that certain objects and trees and plants are weathered. Some of them died a while ago. Some of them have died recently, and some of them have died just within a past week or so. The circle of death has steadily grown. So it's like like the decay patterns. Exactly. And the second thing is you are now outside of the tobacco fields. Tobacco is kind of used as a purifying plant. Mm-hmm. So none of this pollutant or whatever you want to call it that you're seeing here has been on the side of the creek with all the tobacco on it because tobacco has been purifying the soil, preventing it from spreading. Mm. Now you're on the side that has no, no tobacco on it. Or if there is a tobacco field, it's far away, which might also be why the cemetery in the middle of town is in grown. the epicenter of the town, the furthest place. So that might be why it's also being affected by pollutant in some way. Mm-hmm. And the manor house that you visited was not adjacent to a uh, tobacco field, which might be why... Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Might be why there's a ghost, but also you found more pollutant in the yeah. ditch water slash soil that you collected yeah, yeah. there. Also, since you did very well on that check, I will also just say, since... Uh, we are in the middle of the Black Patch Tobacco Wars. Uh, they haven't really been growing tobacco over the past four years, or if they have, it's in reduced amounts because they're not selling it to anyone currently. So the tobacco fields has also been shrinking, which might be why Carter McGrath said he didn't notice it at first, and now he's starting to notice it because the not. purifying tobacco is no, not covering as large an area. Dang. Very, Very interesting. Interesting. Last time I spoke with uh, Bartholomew, it was about uh, two days before he disappeared. He asked me if there were other caves around here, specifically caves that connected to uh, waterways around New Nazareth. I guess I'm gonna, we're going to be following in his footsteps, so that might be an option for us. Uh, what did you tell him? Are there any caves connected through waterways? Waterways? There are many caves connected around here. Of course. Uh, <laughs> Not all of them are connected to uh, water. Do you know where, uh, obviously, that cave most likely has other entrances or uh, leads to a certain uh, chamber with other passages? Is that, uh, would that be an accurate statement? I don't know if you have any experience with those caves. Yeah, back during the war, uh, some of the field hands and whatnot hut out under the cave systems near here and they're supposedly all connected. 
Uh, can you roll a history check for me, uh, Paul? History plus experienced. So 8d12. Five. Seven. Okay. So again, a couple of things. You're probably not old enough to, because it would have been, you know, 40 years ago at this point. But you have heard stories of during the Civil War, some uh, farmers around here did hide in an uh, interconnected cave system. You do know about the war that uh, several plantations, including New Nazareth, were ransacked by Union soldiers who were hanging out in the hills in Kentucky. You do also know that there's a story that all of those Union soldiers disappeared, like they just weren't seen again. And then lastly... Carter McGrath is about your age, and the way he said it made it sound like he was there when people were hiding out in the hills. He's probably about no your sense. age, like mid thirties to early forties. Are there anyone? Are there any people who are still alive? Any uh, members of the community who were a part of those farm hide hideouters? Yeah, there are a couple of women that you could ask about that in particular. You want to speak to the Wild Sisters. Wild Sisters, thank you. Uh, I don't know if you know where Bartholomew's things might have been taken to, um, or if he entrusted you with any of his possessions. We were hoping to see if there was anything that could be gleaned from those items. He didn't entrust me with anything, but if Washington Martel did not get to him yet, I suppose that uh, Elizabeth Danton would still be holding them over at the hotel. I see. Carter, have you noticed any of the animals perhaps drinking the water and the effects that it might have on them? Just not just the plant life, but the the water supply in general for the townspeople and, and animals and stuff. I am uh, pretty careful with what I actually drink. Um, make sure to perform a purifying ritual before and bab in waters. A purifying ritual, you say? I think I'm just no noting that Charles is noted noting that Carter Connor like he performs rituals. Yeah, like, people don't do he's, that. He's magic. Like he's magic. Our, the people that we encounter don't yeah. do that. You're starting to get the implication that yeah, he's definitely magical. I mean, he did just say that he performs purifying rituals yeah. and. He has intimated that he was alive during the Civil War, although he doesn't look like he should have been. So, Mr. McGrath, where are you from? I am from Louisiana. Interesting. Uh, you're quite a ways away from the bayou, as I've been told. How long have you been in New Nazareth? After defending the port of New Orleans in the war, Louisiana didn't feel like home much more anymore. I see. And... With your history role earlier, Paul, you know that the last defense of New Orleans during a battle was during the War of 1812, about 1817 or something like that. I don't remember the exact year. <laughs> so, like, 70 years ago. A like He's almost 100. Nine, he's almost 100. Doesn't look a day over 30. Five. Gotta ask, why do you look so young? when you were in the war. I've lived through a great many wars and they just do not seem to age me, Sheriff. You said that you um, purify your own water, but the animals, I'm curious about. Who the purifies their water? Have you noticed anything in terms of like them acting strangely or dying or? It took a while before we could notice because probably the first affected were the smallest animals that you could ignore, such as beetles and whatnot. And just with your nature training, uh, Krista, you know that certain animals such as like small fish or beetles are called like indicator species, meaning that they're the first to show the signs of like pollution and stuff like that. When it moves up the food chain and eventually gets to an apex predator like a bobcat or something, then you know it's really bad because then it's moved all the way up the food chain to yeah. that point. You started noticing it, but but what exactly has been happening to them? Some have died. Most have uh, deformed. Uh, I do not have a word for it when they uh, define the species that they were born with. I've heard of a cat wandering the hills that has porcupine pit quills grown out of its back. I'd expect a hunter of your pedigree to be 
having at least some sort of trophy. As far as I can tell, they're usually one of a kind. When the young are born, there's only one in the litter, or the rest die out. They usually do not appear in multiples or in pairs. It leads me to believe that the one bobcat is the only bobcat of that kind, and it has not been caught yet. Seems to also be more clever. I think it would be wise to uh, instruct your men to watch their contact with this essence. Uh, they know what to do, even if they do not fully understand it. Yeah, do you have any uh, any um, evidence or healths of, of these animals? I have something I might be able to show you back at, uh, back at the house. Before we encountered you, uh, we attempted to try and speak to the ones who we were told are responsible for the upkeep, but we were unable to find them. I don't see them around much. They mostly work at night, so uh, they sleep during the day. Mostly young men who have not married yet, not trusted to work in the fields. That's about all I know about them. Do they have a ringleader or someone that they answer to aside from the Martells? I do not know the young man's name who leads them if there is one. Carter leads you back the way you came and you pass the uh, men who are cleaning the fish and they're actually making up a little fire. And as you're walking by, you actually see two other men who you have not seen before. And they are way too well-dressed to be part of the woodcutters. One is an older, decrepit-looking man. He's kind of hunched over. He actually has a little bit of a hunch in his back. He's got thick glasses on his face. Fingers that are almost crooked, as if, not in this time period, but as if he was working at a keyboard all the time, so his fingers are a little hooked over. And the younger man next to him looks like he's related to him in some way, but probably not like a son or grandson, maybe like distant cousin or something like that. And they are actually setting up a camera to take a picture of this giant garfish that they've taken out of the water. The older gentleman is a name by the name of uh, John Baca. He runs the... Uh, Typesetter. Uh, there is no nearby mass uh, communication. So in the town, they have their own typesetter slash printing center. They're the ones who actually make the uh, New Nazareth Times mm-hmm. like newspaper yeah. to spread little community stories and stuff like that. The uh, young man with him is his nephew, Jefferson Wicklow. That's a huge scar. So glad you're getting some recognition for it. Yes, I suppose so. So Carter leads you back and you end up at the woodcutter's home. The woodcutter's home is a rough utilitarian building that is populated by some of the most rough and tumble residents of New Nazareth. Unvarnished boards make up the floor with nail thick splinters threatening to pierce through your boots. Tools and axes adorn the walls instead of family memorabilia, despite many men occupying this home together. So it's kind of like a bunkhouse. You know, there's several rows of bunk beds on either side. There are tables down the middle where they presumably sit together and play cards or whatnot. There's a big uh, stove at the front and a big stove at the back to like warm the place up during the winter, but also for them to like cook stew on or whatnot. It appears that all the woodcutters that could be here right now are out. So Carter has the place to himself and he leads you to the back corner of the room to his bunk. It's the one bed that is not a bunk bed, but he's still... Basically, all of his worldly possessions are inside of a trunk. He opens up the trunk and he moves around several things, reaching a um, piece of leather or maybe dried out paper. It's just like rolled together and he unfurls it and you realize that he is unrolling a piece of snake skin that is about seven feet long. And he looks at Maeve and he says, do you recognize what kind of snake skin this is? I would assume that I do. What kind of snakes can that? Can you roll nature plus practice for me? That's that is seven, seven, eight, 12. 8, 12, 1, 9, 1, 8, 6. You're a little confused about it at first. It's a very large snake that you do not have any idea what snake that large would be native. And Carter McGrath turns to you and he says, it's a rattlesnake skin. This is a rattlesnake skin? It's huge. Uh, yes, it is enormous. But you were looking for evidence of such unusual 
wildlife. Well, there it is. I'm sure that you know if it has shed it, that it is much bigger than seven feet by now. I've spoken with Brett Martell about this and his son Washington, but neither of them care much for my company. Do the town folks know? I tell who I can, but they look down on us quite a bit, so I do not know how much they believe or do not believe. Other than the fact that, like, the woodcutters and the group of people that we've seen look poorer, is there a, any other distinguishing feature that, that would cause it so that people would be not into them? Looking at him now and all the information that you do know, but you start to get the inclination that he is not white. Uh, he does have tan skin, which you thought was just being from like out, outdoors, but mm-hmm. he might be Native American of some kind. Right. But he probably is also pale enough and keeping his head shaved and his beard grown out kind of can hide those features from he's passing from most people. Of the other woodcutters that we've encountered, are they all people of color? They were several races as you saw several of them could also be immigrants like freshly immigrated irish or whatnot you didn't really get a chance to speak to them many of them um and then have you heard of any other weird unexplainable i don't know animals going missing do you all have a map maybe i could mark out some things for you here we do we do you pull out a map and he grabs a kind of a rough hewn pencil and he starts marking out some places on the map and he explains around here somebody says they saw an albino salamander uh, around here somebody said they saw a gall that had uh, arms and legs and could walk on land. And he's just marking off several places on the map around the area. Several of them are located near to water sources. You are starting to get the idea that there is some runoff from the water system, specifically maybe those connected to the cave. Um, and just out of curiosity, um, I know you said that they're by water sources, but are those locations when you sort of zoom out from it, is it in any sort of like pattern? You probably do not have enough information at this moment in order to discern any type of pattern if there is one. Well, it looks like we got a lot of work ahead of us. Yes. There's no curfew. We, I have not experienced an actual curfew. We weren't told that we were supposed to be off, but it seems as though there's a time when... None of the residents are outdoors. There are many unspoken rules in this community that that they adhere to. You uh, exit the woodcutter's home, and now it is starting to get to dusk time. The sun is setting in the distance. You can see people are closing up their shops and going inside. The cafeteria down the road is closed up. The barber, the tailor, they're all closing up shop for the day. Um, I'd like to track down Bart's things, if we could, before the end of the night. So you start making your way back towards the hotel, which is on the opposite end of town. As you're walking along, you pass by the cemetery and you hear the sound of crows calling in the cemetery eh? yeah and they seem distressed you know that's very specific crow calling noise of distress or fear i will go to the, the cemetery so you have to go back around to get to the front into the entrance as you're walking back you hear the calling increase get more frenetic and frenzied whatever is distressing them is just getting worse and worse and you come around to the front gate of the uh cemetery And as you are coming along, you see a large crow. It appears like it had come to get that feed that you had dropped earlier Mm -hmm. in the day. Mm -hmm. But its legs are actually caught up in the vine. I'm just going to say time because I'm going to describe a bunch of stuff to set the scene. But... It's all going to happen in a fraction of a second. I just might go on a little long. So I don't want you guys to be like, I shoot it. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to set the horror in just a few words. So you see this thorny vine is tangled around the crow's legs, and it's actually drawing black blood from its legs as it's dug into the flesh. And it actually pulls its feet out from underneath it, and it starts pulling it along the grass, and the crow is trying to stab its uh, beak into the dirt to prevent itself 
itself from being pulled backward, it gets pulled behind a headstone and you start to see that other vines around the cemetery are pulling in behind that uh, headstone as well. And you hear more frenzy cawing and crowing. A mass starts to rise up behind the headstone, this twisting mass of vines that have captured up crows and grown into a form of like a mass with a giant jaw on it. But the jaw is formed together with beaks that clack together loudly as the crows smash their beaks together like the teeth of a giant worm of some kind. And all the vines are still connected to the central area. This mass leans back from behind the headstone, clacking its caw out together and opens a massive cacophony of caws erupt from the middle of this worm of crows. We are going to go into combat, you guys. Okay. Oh, shit. I would like to shoot it. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever I can. I'm going to tell you a couple of things about how combat is going to work before we actually go into it. Most skill checks are uncontested, meaning that you're breaking through a door and you're just trying to beat a number of successes in order to succeed. When a skill is contested, such as when you are fighting a person and they are defending themselves, you're going to be rolling your fight, which is a quality plus whatever fighting skill, such as for the sheriff, it's his experience plus his firearms, he rolls 8d12, and then a creature or the monster will roll its quality plus whatever skill it uses to defend itself, such as our crow beast uses its enraged plus its defense skill to roll 7d12. And whoever gets more successes uh, succeeds. They win that bout of contested rolls. So if the attacker succeeds, gets more successes, then they will deal one damage. Each uh, creature has a ladder of health. Each time you move down the ladder of health, you get a penalty on the number of successes. It basically gets subtracted from the pool of successes you have after if you rolled your dice. The way that combat works in turn order is that you choose the quality that you're using at the beginning of the fight, meaning that you are choosing the quality that best describes your attitude going into the fight, meaning... I'm using my empathetic quality because I am empathetic to my surroundings, understanding that a fight might be incoming, or I'm using my grit, meaning that I'm just a gritty person, always looking for a fight or always ready for a fight. Then you roll a D12, and whoever is close to the value number of their particular quality goes first. That person goes first, and then they choose who goes after them. The person who goes second, choose who goes third and so on and so forth until we reach the last person in the round and then they choose who goes first in the next round. It is important to note that in combat, uh, usually human adversaries have the same number of health levels or less than our heroes. Monsters usually have more and their ladder in terms of how many successes it subtracts uh, does not work the same way. The monsters might have negative one to their successes for several levels before they move on to like negative two, negative three. And once uh, good guys or bad guys reach out on their health level, they are either dead or just knocked out of the fight at the mercy of whoever is attacking them. It's uh, not quite similar to D&D, so it will take a bit of use yeah. getting used to. Yeah. And it's more similar to a game called Hollow Earth Expedition. So you are just choosing one of your qualities and you're rolling 1d12 and you're trying to match it, determine who goes first. Okay. Okay. I am choosing resourceful. I'm choosing insight. I rolled a five. I rolled a 12. Very good roll. But not Maybe close. not now. <laughs> Is it quality or skill? Yeah, it's a quality. So um, probably like focused or experienced. Probably not pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, this is going to suck. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with focused. I rolled an eight. Okay. So Earl was the closest. Uh, he was one away, so he gets to go first. So you get to move and attack at any simple actions you might want to do. Simple actions would just be like pulling out your weapons, for instance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, how far? What? Are, what's the distance between us right now and the thing? Uh, you can make it in one turn. Okay, it's like maybe sixty feet away. And it's it's aware to, of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm assuming. Like I, my understanding is that that was a that they're, they're baiting me. Because <laughs> I, I are they far gone enough that if I tried to animal communion them, I'm assuming that they're mostly dead crows that are either reanimated or manipulated by another thing so there's no there's no soul to go back to (laughs) um all right so i'm going to yeah i'm gonna run in and uh i guess i'm gonna pull out my uh my knives it's coming up from behind that headstone right now okay kind of unfurling itself like a snake coming out of a basket almost okay i'm just gonna actually run like past it and as i'm going i just can i do a quick slice as i'm scurrying yeah so you will use one of your qualities plus your archaic weapons i will Mm -hmm. allow you to choose like enduring or whatever i was gonna do piercing because it feels like more appropriate each combat attack is actively defended by the person being attacked meaning that they roll their own quality and skill and whoever gets the most successes wins i.e if you get more successes you do the damage if, if they, they get more, more successes, successes they defend they take no damage okay yep. um is there a crit in the way that we, there are crits, or is it just based off uh, of the? It's just based off of successes. I haven't figured out like a crit system yet. Okay. And if I want to do that, uh, piercing plus archaic weapons. So it's okay. for me. It's seven. Okay. Seven six five five nine nine seven. So you got ten successes. It is also rolling seventy twelve. So that's no successes. Uh, that is one success. So you charge at this creature that is made of a mass of crows and vines that are kind of pierced into it. As you run by, you slash out with your curved dagger and you cut and you see a group of feathers and vines and this sickly green magical ooze that is souped into everything spray across a headstone as you deal one damage to it. And you're just moving past it. Yeah. Right? Who would you like to go next? Um, can I have it go next? Sure. As Charles moves past, you see it turn and it starts to slither across the ground towards you. It's body moving and you can hear the crows kind of crunching and their bird bones breaking across the ground as it slithers towards you. And it rears back and it's going to spend one of its channel points and it is going to try to eat you. Okay. <laughs> You're going to choose your quality and skill in order to defend yourself. So, like enduring plus unarmed combat, yeah. I feel like would be that's most. Probably, that's probably what we're going to go with. And it's going to use its enraged plus attack, so it gets eight d12. Ooh. Why don't you go ahead and roll first, and I will okay. count up the successes as you go. Uh, two, seven, one, twelve. Uh, six, eleven, three. So you got three successes, I believe. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> so it was pretty close up until I rolled the last die. So you still have your arm outstretched from when you struck at it and you're running past it. It mm-hmm. turns around, it slithers across the ground, zipping far faster than it should. It opens its big mouth and you can see the inside of its throat. You can see other bird beaks clacking up along. Oh, God. And the viney, thorny vines on the inside of its throat that are holding the birds in place it reaches out and it actually swallows up to your shoulder your arm okay and it is holding on to you so now you cannot move until your turn either somebody has to try to pull you out or you have to pull yourself out on your turn you take one damage from that okay is that his knife arm too that's my yeah yeah. after you it is going to choose who goes next or after itself i should say it chooses who goes next let's have mave go next well i had a plan but then your arm got swallowed i had to i'm sorry those burbs those poor burbs <laughs> he also couldn't have known that was what was going to happen i also don't know if i'm going to be strong enough to pull you out i'm going to i'm going to try something that my gut is telling me to do and i'm going to step back and take out my thing of dried tobacco leaves 
Now I'm just going to set them on fire <laughs> and start to try to waft that smoke into. The uh, she's rolling. She's rolling a, a, a tobacco cigarette, and she's just going to start I'm making. I'm, ma- I'm making my own little, little one safe, of those tobacco, tobacco joints, purifying bundles. <laughs> Like a big old one. Okay. I wish I had more at this point because I would make a full on fucking bonfire. Let's say resourceful plus alchemy. Okay. So resourceful plus Which alchemy says so nine. Nine. Yeah. So that's actually pretty good for you. 12, 11, 9, 5, 2, 2, 6, 8, and another 8. So you got four successes. Would you like to re-roll any of those dice by spending channeling points? How many channeling points is that? Does it just take one? Just one for each die. But then if you roll it again, it costs you two because it's the second time you re-rolled it. And then three for the third time. And no, so you said on. I got four successes, right? Yeah. Four out of nine. Um, yeah, I'm going to re-roll one of them. Okay. Uh, it's going to use its infested quality plus its presence. So mm. it rolled eight dice and I got eight twice. It ignores the effect of the smoke as it curls across it. But I will say that the cloud stays there and on your next turn, it will need to roll again to kind of avoid those effects. Okay. At least one more round. Okay. And since the sheriff has not acted, he will go next. When you want to attack, you choose one of your qualities and then your skill that has to do with fighting. So like firearms would be the skill and then the quality would probably be experienced. So you roll 8d12. For every 8 you get, you get 3 successes. For every even number, because 8 is even, you get 1 success. You can re-roll dice by spending the channeling points that you have. 8d12s. Uh, for experienced and firearms. I assume you're shooting it. <laughs> He's throwing it at him. I threw the gun at him. <laughs> and run away. This is how policing is done, yes? <laughs> this is how policing done, 1908. Uh, 11, 2, 2, 9, 3, 3, 8, and 3. So you have five successes for the eight dice that you rolled. Do you, would you like to spend a channeling point to re-roll any of them? Yeah, I think I, he act technically has six because oh, I think you he rolled. Extra? Yeah. Mm. Well, you he got started extra. with two. Special. Us peasants only have four. So go ahead and re-roll one of those dice. Three. <laughs> okay. Never re-rolling ever again. That was stupid. I think it's a scam. I think, I think Dan's Dan. It's like revisiting your SAT questions that you second guess. So you have five successes. I have one dice left, and it has four successes. So oh, it's got to be close. I rolled a four. So you pull out your gun and you aim at the base of this worm and you blast a hole out of it and you see it actually pass all the way through and a burst of feathers and vineage and foliage explode from the other side. That is the end of the first round. It has taken two damage now. Um, So it is further along its track of damage. Who would you like to start the first round, Paul? Who would you like to act next? If I could go, that would be... I think that would be a good idea. (laughs) So, Earl, you have your Mm -hmm. arm inside of it right now. (laughs) I will say... Uh, since your dagger is in there, I will let you like make an attack to kind of hopefully it will react. Like do a, yeah, I'm doing a little twist. I'm, I'm like trying to twist it and wrench, but I'm basically trying to, to make it regret this decision as much as possible. Kind of like a gag reaction, like it has something caught in the back of its throat. So I'm going to use Enduring and my Archaic Weapons. So eight. And since you do have one level of damage on you now, you're going to subtract one success. Okay. Resolve. Great. Uh, You don't subtract the die, just the success. One of the successes. Okay, 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 cool. Two, four, four, six. What was the original number? I'm sorry. Eight. Okay. Eight, four, seven, seven. Okay, so you got eight successes, and then we subtract one, so it becomes seven. So it is uh, damaged enough that it'll subtract two successes from whatever it rolls. 
Ooh, that was close again. But with the subtraction of the successes, you jam your knife up into it and it opens its mouth for the briefest second. And you just drag your knife back through, Ooh. dealing damage to it as you yank your arm out of the crow beast's throat and kind of pull yourself away so you're no longer attached to it, as it were. Huzzah. Would you like to move? Um, actually, I'd like to stay. And can I use my uh, double strike signature move to go again? Is that? Yeah. So that'll cost you one channeling in order to activate. Yes. And then you get to act again. So we're going to do essentially the same role we just did. Great. So back eight again. Four, six, four, seven, eight, four, seven, six. Okay, and then subtract one. Minus Once one. Again, you got seven successes. You just barely beat it, so as you pull your arm out, it actually lunges forward to come at you again, but you reach underneath and just a quick slice <laughs> underneath of the throat, quote-unquote, of this beast. And it is looking uh, quite bad. It kind of in tatters now, but it's still... Still ready to fight. Who would you like to go next? I'll have it go again. Okay. So it's probably just going to attack you and then use its channeling to reroll dice. So it's going to use enraged plus attack. So that's going to be eight. I will roll that real quick and then I'll have you roll yours. Yeah. And it is wounded enough at this point that it is going to be subtracting three from its roll. Sweet. So it's making a desperate lunge towards you. It's going to spend one channel point to reroll one die. Nope. <laughs> so you just need to beat two successes to defend yourself. Oh, sweet. Great. I'm using uh, Enduring and uh, Archaic Weapons again. So okay. eight. Ten, six, seven, three, six, four, six, uh, seven. So you got four. So you easily defend yourself. It makes a desperate reach forward to try and just stab you with all those crow beaks as teeth. <laughs> but you easily defend yourself. We will have the sheriff go next. We'll do the same thing again. That's fine. Nine, nine, two, four, seven, nine, nine, hundred. So you only got two successes. Would you like to roll again or use channeling to roll at least one of those one more time? Why not? You're going to get some back at the end of the fight, so okay. might as well spend it, right? Six? Perfect. So that gives you at least one more. I also rolled not so hot, and then it has to subtract three. So are you using like a revolver, or what kind of weapon do you think the sheriff has? Uh, I wrote it down. Oh, dang. Old Peacemaker, six-shooter. Oh, that's your like signature weapon, right? Yeah. Uh, next time, you should actually be rolling one extra dice because it's your signature weapon. And I think it's the same thing with your sword. Uh, oh, I forgot about that. I'm okay. sorry. You cock the hammer again. You blow another hole in the side of this thing, spreading uh, bird pieces everywhere. So at the start of Chris's turn, the smoke is still wafting over it. Could you roll your resourceful plus alchemy for me again? Okay. Which is nine. Eight, seven... Six, twelve, seven, seven, nine, ten, four. So you got six successes. So is that sort of affecting how it's moving? Uh, it will actually, if it rolls low enough, it will actually take some damage as okay. it's being purified by the smoke. Wow. Technically, it got a negative number. In classic Daniel Shop fashion, I'm just rolling horribly. <laughs> As the smoke continues to waft across it, you see the crows begin to breathe in the smoke. Their bodies actually start to kind of get squeezed as if something inside of them is being squeezed out. And you can see from their pores, this green mucus is being squeezed out as darkly, sickly green fluid is being purified from their flesh. Yum. And it is quite injured at this point. That, I will say, is your simple action because you spent your complex action last time to kind of set that up. But now the smoke is gone. What would you like to do with the rest of your turn? Could I manipulate the plant, the like vines that are forming it, or would it have to be a separate plant to attack it? It would be a separate plant that's going to attack it. I'll say that... Still, if you do that, uh, I we will create something that will attack it for you. We're going to have it appear out of thin air. 
Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the nature and, and attack it with some some plant on plant violence. So you're gonna spend ch- one channeling point to uh, call to nature. Yeah. What kind of plant would you like to appear and attack for you? I guess a tobacco plant. I don't really know how a tobacco plant looks as it's growing, but... A tobacco plant suddenly sprouts out of the ground and leans up to like almost snap, snap it at it. Like a Venus yeah. fly trap. So do I roll for that? Yes. Yeah, so you're going to roll your, say, practice nature. So seven. Four, nine, eight. Six, eight, four, twelve. Would you like to spend any more channeling? Because you got you got three successes out of the seven die. I'm gonna save it just because okay. some of my other things cost two channeling, and if I need them. And it is at such a point now that it is subtracting even more successes from its rolls. So this broadleaf tobacco plant comes up and it snaps like a Venus flytrap on the back of it, and you see it brush in some of the crows and vines on its back and it actually kind of sits back on itself as the structure starts to collapse. Krista, who would you like to start the next round? I think we'll keep going with Charles Sturden. Charles, it is very injured as it stands before you. I'll give it another final uh, hearing blow or try to. Uh, Enduring and uh, archaic weapons again, so eight... 5, 10, 6, 11, 1, 8, 10, 4. And then subtract one for injury. Yep. You reach out with your ceremonial dagger that you also use as a weapon in these slice up underneath of it, and it just collapses into itself as all the vines are severed at the base of this worm. And as it comes up, the vines come loose from the crows and actually like peel the skin off of their musculatures and skeletons as this creature turns itself inside out and collapses dead before you, no longer held together, but just a mass of flesh and foliage at your feet. Uh, that is where we'll end this episode of Dice Try. Hooray. Nightmarish. Uh, that was uh, terrifying. What is this, Lovecraft Country? So before we go, let's uh, go around the horn and do some plugs. He always goes last, so why not this time? GTM, do you have anything to plug? Hello. So uh, I, twitch, I twitch stream at Japarican1, twitch.tv slash Japarican one. I do some photo mode adventures. Uh, Legends Ghost of Tsushima came out, and it's really freaking fun. The photos in there are pretty incredible. It's Halloween this weekend. Check out my Twitch stream, and we'll be doing some spoops and photo mode. It's very good for Spooktober. Crystal Llewellyn, what do you have to plug? I am also streaming on Twitch um, at Krista Llewellyn MUA, where all Halloween or all October long, I've been doing spooky looks. And I'm thinking about doing a special stream on Halloween itself to really indulge in the spooky, scary skeletons as a little bit of a hint for what I sort of have planned to do. And you can follow me also on Instagram at Krista Llewellyn MUA. That's where I post all of my, when I'm going to go on and all of my looks. And I have an Etsy page, um, Shop Rogue Etsy, where I make masks and other like makeup artist accoutrement. So you can follow me on Instagram and also take a look at my shop where if you buy t- right now, you can still get the 15% off of all of the masks during October. Perfect. Uh, Earl, Kim, what would you like to plug? Uh, tomorrow, because tomorrow's Halloween, that's Kitsuji, who plays Jin Sakai, and let's uh, go Sushima, and I are actually streaming tomorrow, and we're going to be revealing our contest winners for our October three-sentence uh, spooky, scary story contest. Um, so if y'all want to tune in uh, on Halloween for that, we'll be streaming on Twitch uh, on my channel, Earl of Sandwich, as well as on Dice's at DiceCave2G. But yeah, we'll be reading spooky, scary stories and having a good old time. So come hang out. Paul Dixon, do you have anything you would like to plug and or promote? Go to at Paul Allen Dixon <laughs> on Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter. Doing and done it. Oh, mo. <laughs> Do yes. it. Yes. Vote. Yeah. Vote. Vote. I mean, Vote. You have to hopefully you have registered by this time. If not, you might be able to do regist- 
registration last minute. Please look it up wherever you are. Uh, yeah. Vote. Those drawings of the uh, Twitter and Facebook symbols are actually quite good. I used to draw like comic book stuff. uh, I've just been kind of concentrating on, you know, film and acting and voiceover. So uh, I'm not against doing it. Uh, I just... Uh, Twitch stream. I mean, you need to start a Twitch stream too, because everyone else is doing it. <laughs> yeah, well, I do like sketches and things, and that'd be cool. Or even character stuff. Character stuff. Yeah, I do miss it. Daniel, it's your turn. Yeah, what about you, Dan? Oh, thank you for asking. I am at Hemingway Light on Instagram and Twitter. Karen and I have been joking about uh, Twitch streaming games based on literary works, so like Sherlock Holmes and Jane Austen. Yeah. Play that Jane Austen yeah. RPG. Yeah. There's a Jane Austen RPG. It's true. Yeah. Ever Jane. It's been in beta <laughs> since 2016. So you know it's going to be great. Also, apparently, they send cease and desist letters to anybody who streams them and says anything negative about the game. So, oh, really? Wow. Might not nice. do that. Really? <laughs> Petty little bitches. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, yes, I'm at Hemingway Light on Instagram and Twitter. And for those of you listening on October 30th, tomorrow on Halloween, we will be having a special Fiasco episode of Dice Trader Podcast. If you don't know what Fiasco it is, is, it's an RPG that allows you to play out uh, scenarios that are similar to some of your favorite movies. The episode that we are going to be premiering on that date is uh, based on Friday the 13th, so it's full of a lot of spoops and uh, jokes about weed. Make sure you tune in for that. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you uh, tomorrow, I hopefully. And if yeah. not, we'll see you soon. Spooky Halloween! Spooky Halloween! Halloween. Yep. Thank you for listening to Dice Try. I'm your host, Daniel Schaub, and this episode's cast has included Paul Dixon, Earl Kim, and Crystal Llewellyn. This production has been edited by Gabriel Toya Melendez with special music provided by Glenn Davis. Please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dice Try Podcast. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe and review. Here's a conspiracy theory. Did Trump make this game? And then he got elected as president. So he's like, fuck, I can't finish this. But then still like trolls people. I don't think Whoever. Trump has ever read Jane Austen. Book. Jane Austen. The weirdest thing is that he's a huge Jane Austen fan. Do you imagine though? Like, I don't know how that would be possible. <laughs> Like the people that I know that are diehard Jane Austen fans are like the most delicate crumpets and like the most wonderful, like soft, inside, fluffy He is a, del- a delicate crumpet, mm. but is just has been so hard by the world. I'm just he picturing Trump with little pigtails. Yes. Probably thinks Jane Austen is re- related to Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> the best thing to come out of England. Jane Austen is the most Austen. <laughs>